Mick Cronin and the UCLA Bruins have a new look team heading into their final season with the Pac-12 Conference, why they might be flying under the radar this year, coming up on today's Locked On College Basketball. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, folks? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton, and today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now when you bet on a Super Bowl winner. You can get bonus bets every single time they win in the regular season. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Locked On to learn more. Well, I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend and the host of the Locked On UCLA podcast, Zachary Anderson Yoxheimer, to discuss UCLA's offseason and influx of international talent as well as a look ahead to the move to the Big Ten and what that might mean for the Hoops program. Zachary, I think it's kind of easy to start the conversation around UCLA Hoops with who they lost, because I think that's kind of the thing that jumps out the most when you first start looking at UCLA. No Jaime Jaquez, no Amari Bailey, no Tiger Campbell, no Jalen Clark, no David Singleton. The only or the biggest returner who comes back is, of course, a Dembona, which I think there's a real chance that he competes for Pac-12 first team next year. Really talented young man. But that's a heck of a lot of talent to go out the door. Yet we do see this incredible incoming class as Mick Cronin is always an active recruiter on the national and international market. And of course, the two most recent additions are are really where I want to start this conversation, talking about Ade Mara, who's been rumored to come to UCLA for a long time, but officially signed that paperwork. They also had Burke B. I'm, I'm going to just skip pronouncing his last name from Turkey. Uh, two big international stars. I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on, on what those guys bring to what's going to be a pretty new look team for Mick Cronin next year. Well, quick tidbit about Dembona. Imagine if he wasn't hurt, right? If he wasn't hurt, he probably left and he's going to the NBA. So if Mm -hmm. he wasn't hurt, that would have been another spot that UCLA Mm -hmm. had to fill. But luckily for the Bruins, he came back for Diamara. This is someone who's been like a mystery recruit of sorts that everybody knew was this Mm -hmm. mystery guy that they're going after almost just about a month after the tournament. Oh, who's going to maybe fill in when Bona leaves or become a new recruit that's just going to fill in? And it's been a long process that his name's been floating around. And then all of a sudden, the international play comes around. You see 7-3, and you're like, mm-hmm. Mick Cronin doesn't get 7-2, 7-3 guys. He likes his undersized big men. I know Bone is 6-10, 6-11, uber athletic. But Morrow would signify a big change. Remember, last year, Arizona had twin posts. Mm-hmm. UCLA hasn't necessarily had that. Mick Cronin hasn't had that, even dating back to his days at Cincinnati. And then you bring in Burke who this is someone who UCLA has been going after for a while and it's been in the works. They've been grinding through it. The international process, the admissions process can be a little bit tougher at UCLA. And I know he also had a, his own contract situation, maybe not as public and as back and forth like it was with Mara, but he had to decide, do I want to stay or do I want to go to UCLA? And he eventually got cleared, made the decision and everything at the end made it seem like, all right, he is the quote unquote, replacement for Hawkes in a bigger, taller, more athletic, arguably form, and he's a lefty. So mm-hmm. it, it, there's just so many different pieces 
which makes UCLA an interesting team to try and figure out with very talented players who have never played before, all with different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so interesting to me is it seems like there's a a, a real dearth of kind of front court talent. And I'm curious how Cronin's going to make that all work. I mean, you have, of course, Bona and Mara, as we talked about, who are almost certainly going to start at the five and the four. You have Burke, who's 6'9", listed as a power forward. You know, it sounds like if he's going to play that Hawkes role, maybe he plays a little bit more of the three. And then you got two incoming four-star freshmen and Brandon Williams and Devin Williams, who are both six seven six ten respectively like that's a that's a lot of talent going in that front court there and it feels like there's going to be some maybe some guys who are, are struggling to find playing time or at least guys who might be playing different positions than they're being listed at right now is that kind of the sense you're getting from this this squad right now yeah absolutely i was reading the la times the other day by the great ben bolch got a quote from mick cronin that said our emphasis this year is to move the ball around because it's not going to be ball dominant Not that Tiger Campbell was ball dominant, but the ball was in his hands a lot. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to transition away from that, which means, one, Dylan Andrews is going to have to step up. He's a freshman Mm -hmm. transitioning into a sophomore. I know a lot of UCLA fans are extremely hyped on him. He's an energizer bunny. He's athletic. If he can develop a jump shot, he could be a big-time threat. But this is his team from a floor general spot. Will McClendon, he didn't necessarily impress at times last year, but he's coming off the bad ACL tear and the injuries. Can he be a guy that jumps in? But initially, it's going to come down to one of the four-star freshmen you didn't mention, Sebastian Mm. Mack, has gotten a lot of love from Mick Cronin through the practice sessions that they get from their Spain trip coming up. And they've got those 10 extras practice sessions. Mack's gotten a lot of love. He could compete for a starting one or two spot. And along with Andrews, it's how those guys develop. The returners mixed with those freshman guards over the season that will truly matter as to how well the post will play. Because you got to get the post the basketball. If you can't get it to them, mm-hmm. they're going to sit there in bewilderment offensively. No matter how awesome Mars passing is, who can pass, mm-hmm. you got to be able to bring it up the court. Yeah, it uh, reminds me a lot of last year's Gonzaga team of Drew Timmy can't be the best ball handler and the best passer on your team. You need some more help to get to get the big fellas the ball. And, and um, I, w- I want to talk a little bit more about the international players in general for UCLA because we talked about Mara, we talked about Burke, but uh, that's not it for this team. They're also bringing in uh, Jan Vide from Slovenia. They're bringing in Elaine Fible from France. Uh, really huge international recruiting trip for Mick Cronin. I mean, this team's not going to start five international players, but they have the option to potentially do that at the very least have four or five international guys pretty routinely in the rotation. And I think we're seeing, especially the last few weeks as the transfer portal has dried up and these teams are starting to try to fill out those final spots on their roster. Again, we saw uh, Gonzaga add Luka Krajnovic from Croatia. We saw Kentucky add Vonimir Visic from, uh, from, Croatia as well, I think, is where he's from. Or Yes, he's from Croatia. So there's a lot of Eastern European talent coming over, a lot of uh, European talent in general coming over. And UCLA has always kind of been one of the teams sort of on the forefront of this. Gonzaga, Arizona, UCLA in particular are three teams that have really seemed to always want to hit that international market. And it feels like it's kind of a new trend developing in college basketball for UCLA. It puts them in a position to, to kind of make this team a little bit harder to pin down, I think, a little bit harder to, to scout, uh, at least until the season gets going. Is that kind of the feeling you get? And, and we've seen Mick do this before. And, and kind of what does it do for the, the morale heading into the season to have a team with a lot of kind of newcomers, a lot of international players on it? Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, there's seven freshmen, eight newcomers. You talked about the international players. Can't mm-hmm. forget the flavor that is Lazar, Lazar yep. Stefanovic from Utah, who yep. is an international guy, but he was at Utah, had some good moments with the Utes, the running Utes, mm-hmm. and then came to UCLA. So they could start uh, all five, uh, mm-hmm. an all-starting five of international players. That would mm-hmm. 
I think, arguably be a record, and I've never yeah. seen that. That could be something. I'm not sure that's where UCLA is going to go. I'm not sure that all five players fit in that role. That can make mm-hmm. it happen, but it could very well happen. Mm-hmm. I, I know I get the perspective from UCLA fans. There's a lot of excitement. Of course, when Mara gets touted from various draft sites, I even read those and said it somewhat myself, potentially as a lottery pick. You've got Feeble, who's got NBA qualities. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of Cronin comparing him to Jalen Clark in his 6'6 body with defensive intangibles, V-Day, who was one of the earlier international guys, he's gotten some hype. He's a three- or four-star. It, it just seems like nobody knows how to rate these international mm-hmm. players, right? And then out of nowhere, you get like the super seven-footers like Zach Eady coming and dominating yeah. at Purdue. And while he's not necessarily coming all the way across the pond – you mm-hmm. see these guys come up and develop. And the yeah. real question is to pinpoint this team this year, is it are all these guys going to start and contribute this year mm-hmm. or is it a one- to two-year process for some of these freshmen or even three years or four years, dare mm-hmm. I say. As much as we like the one-and-dones, it was the older years of college basketball with COVID and their mm-hmm. extra years sliding out. I think they'll be good. I can't pin them as a national championship shortlist, but I mm-hmm. think they'll be better than people think but I don't want to put that pressure on them right now. Well, that's what I want to talk about is because it does feel like there's this confusion of, of, of how to rank this team, how to evaluate this team, because it's not just one or two kind of mystery international players. It's multiple. And then a, a lot of new freshmen coming in and, uh, of course, just a whole bunch of players coming out the door. And so I kind of want to get a chance to talk about what that might look like. And, of course, to talk about three or four years from now, like you said, what that means for UCLA, because they're not going to be in the Pac-12 anymore. And we're going to cover all of that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every single time they win during the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every single victory. Maybe you Southern California folks want to bet on Justin Herbert after he got his extension and the Los Angeles Chargers. Maybe you want to stick with the Kansas City Chiefs or the Philadelphia Eagles from the Super Bowl last year. Either way, you can use those bonus bets you get on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Folks, want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen of the day. And a shout out to those everyday listeners checking us out on YouTube as well. We are very close to 1,500 subscribers. Would love to get there before the first tip of the college basketball season. If you can, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We got more fantastic stuff coming your way this week on NIL, Transfer Portal, all the big news in college basketball. For right now, though, want to continue our conversation with Zachary Anderson Yoxheimer of Locked On UCLA to talk about kind of the expectations for this team. And you touched on it really well there right at the end of the segment, Zachary, just talking about there's a bit of mystery with this team. A lot of international players, and one thing you pointed out, international players, it's hard to rank them. You, you often see 24-7 sports or other places not give them rankings at all or just give them a star ranking. And, you know, you see these guys come in and some of them dominate right away. Some of them it takes two to three years. And there's language barriers and various other things. But I'm looking at where some of the, and again, it's mid-August. So, of course, rankings and way too early power rankings and all that stuff are to be taken with a significant grain of salt. But Joe Lenardi has this team as a seven seed when, of course, they were a two seed last year. Uh, Dick Vitale, Jeff Borzello, a handful of other people who are writing these two early top 25 lists don't even have UCLA on there at all. Do you think that this team is being slept on? Do you think it's more of a, hey, we're just kind of taking a cautious approach because we are not sure how all these pieces are going to fit together? Kind of where do you 
How do you react to seeing some of the rankings uh, that, that we've seen for UCLA early so far this year? It's one of those teams where everybody's saying, you've got to prove it. And I know mm-hmm. UCLA fans can be, I've read forums, I've read different things. I've seen, and I've tried to take a cautious approach too, because even last year, even last year, I was still skeptical of the team with just a couple of freshmen coming in mm-hmm. with Ju Zhang and Bernard and Riley yeah. all leaving. I was skeptical of last year's team. And last year's team, I thought, had all the intangibles to win it all mm-hmm. if they'd stayed healthy. And that was last year's team, right? A team yeah. that was a borderline one seed, arguably was a one seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have debates about that all day long. <laughs> but then you've got this year, right? So it is a fair assessment, and that's their jobs. they got to go and do those things, make the assessment. And it's kind of my job, too, to think, all right, I get hyped, I get excited. But mm-hmm. these team, this team particularly – Almost every position, except for a dim bona, and mind you, he's still coming off a pretty big shoulder injury, although he's supposed to be fully healthy by the time the season starts. Almost every position is up for contention, right? Every single position is going to get someone who's either not been in that role before or is going to be asked to grow immensely from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. So is this a team that's going to be like last year's UCLA team, maybe go this year and play some early games like the Bruins did last year in Vegas and lose a couple, get mm. forgotten about, and then grow and become a good team? Is this the team that's going to take their licks, become a 10-loss team, and have a dream run to the Final Four like a few years ago? Or is this a team that I've arguably argued, de- depending on what ranking and sites you use, they're a top 15 class of, the, of 23 with all these freshmen, mm. not including the transfer. I think this could easily be one of the best classes, if not the best class, when you re-rank it years down the line – they could come out and ball out and become a super team. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen right away, but I do think in Mick Cronin's development, his scheming, the defense is just going to win a lot of games if they all play defense together. And I think the offense will come. If there's no offense, then it might be a rough year. Well, what I'm kind of fascinated by is, is it sounds like there might be an opportunity for this team to be even better a couple of years from now. And I think that's probably a pretty good way to be building a roster right now if you're Mick Cronin, because and this is not a debatable statement, I don't think. Big Ten's a heck of a lot better at basketball top to bottom than what was the Pac-12 or what will be the Pac-12 for a final season here in 23-24. Of course, uh, USC has been getting a lot of attention, but now with Bronny James potentially not playing this upcoming year, that hurts their chances a little bit. Of course, Arizona is, is going to be near the top of the standings in the Pac-12, if not at the top of the standings. A really good offseason for Tommy Lloyd, but this is not a great Pac-12 top to bottom. Really, outside of those few teams, you got some. Colorado's kind of gotten some attention, but are they? You know, they've gotten that attention before and not necessarily lived up to it. So, it feels like a, a season where UCLA can almost kind of skate by in the Pac-12 and still do enough, even if there's some growing pains, some learning uh, that these younger guys need to do. And then by the time they're kind of ironed up and ready to roll they'll be in the big 10. And to me, that feels like a spot where you really want to be bringing your best because big 10 basketball, not a lot of NCAA tournament success, same with the PAC 12, but uh, has had a lot of regular season success. And it's funny to me because the general reputation of UCLA basketball historically doesn't seem like it matches up very well with the reputation of the big 10 and the style that they play. But at least in my mind, and I'm curious your thoughts, kind of feels like Mick Cronin's style might actually match up fairly well with how teams in the Big Ten play. What do you think that that kind of relationship is going to look like by the time UCLA ends up playing Big Ten hoops uh, in, in a year? I think the biggest thing is, one, depends on the types of players he recruits. He talks mm-hmm. about, one, how SoCal is still the recruiting hub. Yeah. Despite this inc- increased presence overseas, it's based on who's going to go 
and be their recruits. Well, it depends on the ebbs and flows of the SoCal recruits. And then he's also talks about, well, you need your five stars. Maybe you need your one and dones, but they're gone after you, right? Like the mm-hmm. Amari Baileys, how Bona could have been gone if he probably mm-hmm. wasn't hurt. But then you need those guys who stick around two, three, four years like a Hawkes that develops and becomes those grinded out superstars, conference player of the year as a senior. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure every recruit will be that, but you sure. need those mesh guys mixed with the sophomore juniors like the Clarks. And then you've got a roster like last year that can compete. Well, Mick Cronin's coach kind of on the other side of the country. He's seen how things play and it's more of a bruise. It plays some good defense. And mm-hmm. I know everybody talks about how good the big 12 mm-hmm. is basketball wise, but the big 10 is really good as yeah. a basketball conference. It seems like it's very much slept on. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the year, we always talk about how they're overhyped, mm-hmm. but they it's so consensus that it's the big 12. And yeah. I know that they're only getting better with the additions of the new mm-hmm. schools, but the Big Ten is a pretty good basketball yeah. conference. Like we can't forget that they're almost a one B in my mind. I yeah. know there's some clunkers at the bottom there, but I think UCLA beyond the travel can fit in and might mm-hmm. make their own identity. Because you know who's really dominating the Big Ten nowadays? The recent dominant surges mm-hmm. have kind of all gone up and down. So I think yeah. the Bruins will fit in. Yeah, it'll be really really fun to see kind of how how. Mick Cronin makes adjustments, what adjustments he makes at all. I'm also very curious what this is going to look like for Andy Enfield and USC. And of course, uh, what we'll see from is Washington's own defense going to translate to the Big Ten at all. Like there's a lot of fascinating things. Don't that... even get me started about Washington. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Washington's, Washington's own defense hasn't worked in the Pac-12, so I'd be pretty surprised if it were to work in the Big Ten. Zach, I got one more question for you, uh, talking about, uh, kind of talking about football a little bit, talking about Chip Kelly's recent comments. Uh, you talked about them on a recent episode of Locked On UCLA. Uh, Chip effectively said, kind of wondered aloud about having football go independent uh, across the board and basically all of these conference realignment moves that are impacting entire athletic departments, impacting sports well beyond just football and basketball. Uh, if perhaps going independent and letting those football conferences or football letting it letting it be separate and so your softball teams aren't traveling across the country your tennis teams your volleyball teams etc and I've worked in college athletics for about five years Uh, I've traveled with teams I've worked with non-revenue sports I know you have done similar stuff as well and so you kind of have seen what kind of impact this can potentially make for those non-revenue sports and for me, what I'm curious about is what it does for men's basketball or basketball in general, because basketball is kind of right in the middle. It's not football. It's not generating that kind of revenue. It's not that must watch TV, but it's also not baseball or softball, you know, with no disrespect to those sports. Basketball is a revenue maker. It is a money maker. The NCAA tournament's a billion dollar industry. So it's kind of an interesting spot that basketball would find themselves in like should these moves be made for basketball and football should they be totally separate I'm kind of curious just after hearing what Chip Kelly said after reacting to it on your show kind of where you feel men's basketball sort of fits into this unique dynamic of conference realignment that's going on right now I think it all comes down to greed and money and Mm -hmm. tv deals and everything and both the blessing and the curse for college basketball is March Madness Mm -hmm. because in football, the regular season, they, we care about the big dogs. They only want the big dogs. There's no Cinderella in football. Let's be real. Yeah. That's not going to happen. And even though there could be, it just doesn't happen in college mm-hmm. football. In college basketball, especially come March, the Cinderella, Fairleigh Dickinson, right? Good old <laughs> Purdue going down. Recently, UMBC. 
That's what makes it. So they need the small schools who might not always be making money, but that is why March Madness is so special or the big runs. And while they always say at the end of the tournament, the best teams and the Blue Bloods make it, but heck, even San Diego State was in a final this year, right? Mm -hmm. So it just is what helps college basketball is the idea that the, the Cinderella, the, the, the sparky underdog can come make something happen. Where in football, it's like, well, only the SEC and all the other schools, that's what they care about. Even though Pac-12 football is good, there's mm-hmm. just so much love in that side of the country. Especially mm-hmm. me just living on that side of the country for the last few months over the summer. Mm-hmm. It is, it's, it's just intense. It's yeah. a different beast. It's different. Not that it's not good over here. But it's just different. That's just mm-hmm. how it is. Life is just different across the country mm-hmm. where why it's fun for UCLA to go to the Big Ten is because in the Midwest, the other parts of the country, they care so passionately. Not that we don't, but it's just a different level. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to basketball, Chip Kelly talks about we play once a week, right? In the Big Ten, you're going to be playing two, maybe three games a week, right? Those mm-hmm. Wednesday, Sunday, Monday games, yeah. or depending on how you flip it, two times a week. Football, you can go travel and you'll be back. It'll be a brutal trip, but you get over a cross-country trip. It's not the best when they have to go play Rutgers in football eventually yeah. on the road, but they'll get over it when they have to go play wherever. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But when you have to go play Rutgers, and then you have to come back and play Ohio State if they do something dumb like that because TV mm-hmm. might make that happen, and then come back, and maybe mm-hmm. play a Tuesday game for a big marquee national televised game, yeah. or maybe even just play SC at home. That's where you're just really losing out because they still got to go to class. Mm-hmm. They still have to maybe work on their NIL deals, right? They still got to yeah. fulfill those obligations. Mm-hmm. They still got to work on their craft. Yeah. And mind you, they still have a personal life out of all this. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't make sense to make that happen throughout all the season, right? We can have, that's why I have November and December where they meet in these neutral site games or like we've seen what I believe North Carolina, Kentucky, we should have home and homes between these blue bloods more consistently. That should happen. I just don't think, I I think I read something. I've read too many articles about conference realignment. We all have, we've seen too many things being talked about. I think there is an anonymous, of course, anonymous, anonymous Mm -hmm. athletic director, someone deep, into the college athletics world saying in five to 10 years, watch this swing back. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of under the same mindset. Watch it down the line when the practicality of it, I know technology only gets better. Maybe fights can get shorter. Who knows whatever mm-hmm. that's going to happen in the next 10 years. What if it swings back and we realize, ah, eh, this is kind of dumb. And at some <laughs> point, as much as revenue money's going up, mm-hmm. there's going to be a dip in viewership at some point. Yeah. What happens when that happens and nobody's watching a game and it's like, well, that was for no reason. Yep. What's going to happen in 10 years? It could swing back and we might think we made a mistake or, we're, you know, it is what it is. Well, a big thank you to Zachary for coming on the show to talk some UCLA hoops today. Jerome Tang and Kansas State added another guard to next year's roster and graduate transfer Keese Glover. How does he fit with Tyler Perry? We're going to break it down coming up right after this. All right, folks, segment three here. Still Andy Patton, still locked on college basketball. Closing out the show, talking Big 12 hoops talking about Keith Glover, graduate transfer, who was committed to BYU for most of the offseason, but is instead going somewhere else in the Big 12, has recently committed to Jerome Tang and Kansas State, is the third really well-known or at least big-time transfer portal addition for Jerome Tang and the Wildcats, uh, behind, of course, Tyler Perry, who comes from North Texas, one of the most prolific mid-major scoring guards in the country last year, a tremendous replacement for Marquise Noel, as difficult as it may be to replace somebody like Noel. They also add Arthur Kaluma out of Creighton, a really kind of understated and, and I think valuable addition 
for Jerome Tang's team. And now late in the portal season, they add Keith Glover. This is not the first time they have added a player late in the transfer portal process. This is not the first time they've landed a player late in the portal process who initially played college basketball at Florida. Of course, Keontae Johnson was a massive part of this team last year, all Big 12 performer after collapsing on the court due to heart issues uh, while during his time at Florida. So huge addition for them at that time. And now they add Keith Glover and Glover's a bit of an adi- a different addition. Yes, he does have that background having played at Florida, but he wasn't a particularly productive player at Florida. A little bit of background on Glover. He's a five foot eleven point guard. He's from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, he started his college career with the Gators, played 51 games in two seasons in the SEC with the Gators, only about 11 minutes per game, 3.6 points, just under one rebound, shot under 25% from deep. And after those two seasons, relatively uninspiring seasons there at Florida, Glover decides to enter the transfer portal and he transfers to Samford. While at Samford during the 21-22 season, Glover exploded. 19.2 points per game, 4.4 assists, 2.8 rebounds, 1.2 steals. Still not a particularly productive outside shooter, about 31%, but Glover is excellent at putting the ball on the deck. He's excellent at getting to the rim. He loves drawing contact, getting to the free throw line. That is kind of what his game is made out of. But last year, in a smaller sample size, he only played 19 games in the 22-23 season. This was also at Samford. And his production dropped. He went from 19.2 points as a junior to just 14.7 points last year. His rebounds per game dropped a little bit. His assists were about cut in half, went from 4.4 to 2.1, while his turnovers basically stayed the same. So there were some concerns last year. Again, the sample size was very small, 19 games, you know, only two-thirds of a season. His minutes per game dropped. But he also showcased a newfound outside shot. Like I said, 25% in two years at Florida in an admittedly small sample size. 30.8%, about 31% in that junior year, that kind of breakout season at Samford. And then this past season for Samford, 38%. So we saw a player who maybe had some concerns with some of the other production that we saw from him that year, but definitely showcased that there is a little bit more to his scoring than just driving to the basket, drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. And that's the key here because Glover is not big. He's a five foot 11 point guard and he joins a Kansas state team that a has seemingly doesn't have any issue with smaller point guards. They had of course, Marquise Noel last year, one of the all time great small point guards in NCAA history, at least NCAA tournament history. The the production that he had last year during the big dance was absolutely unprecedented and unbelievable for a guy of his stature. So this is not an issue for Jerome Tang, but having Keith Glover at five foot 11 and Tyler Perry does create a bit of a unique situation. Before we get into that, I want to talk about how Glover got here in the first place, because for months and months, it looked like he was going to go to BYU. He committed to BYU early in the transfer portal process. It was kind of billed at the time as one of the first big moves by Mark Pope and the Cougars, adding a Big 12 caliber player. Again, he hadn't played at that level or he played in the SEC, but hadn't produced really. But it was viewed as like, hey, this is the kind of guy that Big 12 teams are going to pursue. So for BYU to land him and snag him kind of early in the portal process, get him committed, get him through the system, get him ready to rock next year was viewed as a big win for Pope and their staff. And unfortunately, 
you know, in this day and age, like your team is your roster is never set at any point. If you have players on your team who are eligible to still enter the transfer portal because they are graduate transfers, they are still going to do so. And this has been proven in the last few weeks of college basketball. As we're into August, we've seen players like Boogie Coleman. We've seen players like Mike Meadows, who went to St. Louis. We've seen a handful of other players enter the transfer portal very, very late in the process. And most of the guys who have done that have committed within a few days. I believe that Glover was in the the portal for like six days. And that was longer than many of these other guys were. These players are committing, knowing, or are leaving their respective schools, entering the portal again, often kind of knowing where they're going or at least having a good sense of it. Is there conversations going on behind the scenes? Is that something that should be looked into by the NCAA, governing bodies, et cetera? That's maybe a conversation for another time. I know people have pretty strong opinions about that. And I do think that at the very least, something needs to be done about a 24-7 offseason for college basketball. It cannot continue to be this. I think that is a very reasonable and measured take to have. People will have very different solutions to solving the problem, but I think it's clear that this is not something that can continue to happen for teams to really be in the best position to to go into the season with the roster that they have and certainly for coaches to have any semblance of a work-life balance, which I know is not necessarily going to be the NCAA's biggest priority, nor should it be necessarily. Coaches are signing up for the job knowing full well that that's part of it, but this has been absolutely insane. And I, I feel for somebody like Mark Pope, I feel for somebody like Kenny Payne. We talked about the Trent Flowers situation, which is admittedly different as he chose to leave the NCAA entirely, but it is still something we're seeing crop up a lot here in mid-August. Regardless, how does Keith Glover fit with Jerome Tang's Wildcats? Do him and Tyler Perry play together? Is that setting them up for difficulties on the defensive end of the floor in the Big 12? I would say probably. The Big 12, as we know, as we talk about a handful of times on this podcast, is absolutely stacked. Kansas, Houston, Baylor, absolutely ridiculous top group. Of course, they have some really premier programs coming in the future in Arizona and whatnot. But beyond that, you also still have Iowa State. You have TCU. You have West Virginia, who has had a very strange offseason, but ultimately is still coming into the year with a pretty darn good roster. This you. Texas is still in the Big 12 heading into next season, at least. So this is going to be a, a really challenging season once again. Now, Jerome Tang and the Kansas State didn't seem bothered by it last year. They ran through the Big 12, did better than most people expected them to do, got themselves a decent seed in March, and just cruised behind Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. But both those guys are gone. They also lose Desi Sills. They lose Taiki Green, one of their other guards. This is a team that's going to look really different. Ismashad is gone. I think he transferred to Georgetown. At least he, I know he transferred. So they're, they're losing a lot of valuable players, both starters and depth options, from last year's kind of Cinderella-esque team uh, for Jerome Tang. So what does this mean for this team? I think that the combination of Tyler Perry and Arthur Kaluma is outstanding. Is it quite on the same level of Noel and Johnson? Probably not, but that says more about Noel and Johnson than it does about Perry and Kaluma, who I think with time and with kind of gathering that camaraderie, I think will ultimately end up being a very solid one-two punch in the Big 12. Glover represents more of a depth addition. I just don't see Glover and Perry playing a ton of minutes together because I am not sure that they will be able to hang on the defensive end of the floor. Two mid-major guards coming up to the highest level of college basketball, both guys who are undersized. I think there's some risk associated with that. 
But beyond that, it's not like they're the only guards on Kansas State's roster. They also have Cam Carter, who's returning from last year. He's a six foot three guard, averaged six and a half points and three boards last year. They also have a top 25 ranked recruiting class in the entire country with three four-star recruits joining them. That would be Darren Ames, a six foot one point guard who's ranked 79th. RJ Jones, a six foot three combo guard who's ranked 94th. And Macalabe Rich, a six foot six small forward ranked 102nd. So you got three incoming guys who could all contribute in year one. You got a depth addition in Keith Glover. You got two potential star guys in Perry and uh, Arthur Kaluma. I think this is going to be a, another really fun, exciting season for Jerome Tang. Would I project them to do as well as they did last year? Probably not. But I don't think that they're in any kind of actual dire situation. And I think they've made additions that are going to make them a really fun team to watch in the Big 12 next season. That's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the show today. Uh, we always appreciate comments, feedback. Leave them on YouTube. Leave reviews on iTunes. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube as well if you have not done so yet. It is very much appreciated. we got more conference realignment conversations coming for you all to close out the week here on Locked On College Basketball. Thanks again. And, of course, as always, peace out.